Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, Future of Everything listeners. I'm Ben Cohen, and I write the Science of Success column here at The Wall Street Journal. We're trying something new and bringing you a new feature based on my column. Take a listen and let us know what you think. Drop a line to foepodcast at wsj.com. Every year, the Library of Congress enshrines a new collection of music into the National Recording Registry. The idea is to, quote, highlight the richness of the nation's audio legacy. Last year's inductees included Like a Virgin by Madonna, Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, and All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Among those karaoke classics was a song with a title you wouldn't know written by someone whose name you've probably never heard. But I bet you'd recognize the tune. The song that many of my colleagues at the Wall Street Journal attempted to sing is by Koji Kondo. It came out in 1985 on one of Nintendo's most beloved games. So what's it called? It's like the opening level song. Super Mario theme song? I have no idea. I should know the name of the song, but I don't. It's just the theme from Super Mario Brothers. Formerly known as Ground Theme, this melody begins the first level of the iconic video game Super Mario Brothers. But the tune isn't just an earworm or the soundtrack to so many childhoods. It's also a breakthrough. The origin story behind the music of Super Mario Brothers is a tale of invention that involves transcending the limits of technology physics, and human psychology. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the Science of Success, a look at how today's success could lead to tomorrow's innovation. I'm Ben Cohen. I write a column for the journal about how people, ideas, and teams work, and when they thrive. Today, we're tuning into the work behind our play and the revolutionary mind behind this music we can't get out of our heads. Kondo's music has more than withstood the test of time. The song's been not only relevant, but resonant for almost 40 years. It's been rearranged for other games and for ringtones. YouTube is littered with acapella versions. Even the London Philharmonic played it for the Game Awards. Last year, the tune could be heard from coast to coast. Hollywood was taking it all the way to the bank in the Super Mario Brothers movie, 2023's biggest box office smash after Barbie. And in Washington, D.C., it was going down in history. After having his song enshrined in the National Recording Registry, 62-year-old Koji Kondo told the Library of Congress about some of the challenges of creating video game music in the 1980s. Basically, the amount of data they could use for music and sound effects was really small, so he had to be really innovative. It sounds like a common business conundrum, creativity born from constraint. Koji Kondo doesn't give many interviews. In fact, according to Andrew Shartman, a professor of music at the New England Conservatory, Nintendo tends to play things close to the vest. 
One of the challenges in studying Nintendo in general, whether it's music or not, is that it's like Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Like, it is impossible to get in the door and talk to anyone. Shartman would know. He literally wrote the book on Kondo and the music of Super Mario Brothers. His 2015 book is called Koji Kondo's Super Mario Brothers Soundtrack. Nintendo declined to make Kondo available for comment, so I turned to the expert to help me understand the unique challenges faced by video game music composers of the time and the unique background of Kondo himself. Koji Kondo had a pretty musical childhood. He took Yamaha keyboard classes. Uh, he was in a cover band you know, in his high school, college days, and just also immersed in the video game scene of the early 80s, late 70s. Kondo grew up in the 1970s playing the electric organ in elementary school and fiddling with a synthesizer in high school. As it turned out, his timing was exquisite. During his senior year of art school in Osaka, Japan, Nintendo happened to be hiring a team of sound geeks. Nintendo posted a job. <laughs> um, and he applied to one job, only one, against you know, the advice of his mentors, and he got it. It was the first and last job that Kondo would apply for. But when he joined the company in 1984, he soon learned something important. Writing music for video games was entirely different from writing music for an orchestra. What exactly made it so different? And how did Koji Kondo overcome those challenges to create this enduring and beloved masterpiece? That's after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. These days, video game music can be as complex as any other music we listen to. But in the 1980s, it was constrained by the hardware. There was very little memory to work with, and the memory that was there was allocated to other things in the game that were considered more important. Andrew Shartman told me that memory, or lack of memory, meant that one, Kondo couldn't write anything too complex, and two, whatever he did write couldn't be too long. It would have to repeat again and again and again because it couldn't take up too much space. But how do you create a song that repeats nearly endlessly and doesn't get annoying? According to Shartman, it helps to disguise the loop. If you actually separate out the little chunks of music, you can think of this kind of in a modular sense. He's basically taking these Lego blocks and rearranging them in different orders that work musically so that by reusing the same Lego block, you're saving memory. But by putting it in different orders, the listener doesn't necessarily notice it as an exact repetition because the context is different. Think about that first little chunk of music in the main theme. That repeats, and it's followed by this. But not always. Mm -hmm. 
right there, we got something new. And so by reordering these things and creating the expectation that this is going to happen, but oops, something else actually happens, he makes it harder for us to figure out where the loop actually is. The result is music that's accessible and compelling and surprisingly complex. But there were other constraints that Kondo had to get around. Not just a shortage of memory, but limitations in the Super Nintendo system, which could only produce five sounds at a time, significantly less than a symphony orchestra. You've got five channels, but you've only really got three that work for making basic notes. And then you've got a noise channel, which can imitate percussion and create sound effects. And then you've got a sample channel, except they're extraordinarily memory intensive. So most games didn't use it anyway. <laughs> so you've really got, you know, three sound channels. So how do you make that sound like music rather than a computer trying to make music? Kondo's solution was to space out the notes. Take a C major chord played by a pianist. Coming through a Nintendo system, it's going to sound pretty confined, tinny, and small. So Kondo spaced out the notes over more than a single octave. The result? A sound that's richer, fuller, and more clear. More compelling. More atmospheric. And that is one of the keys to the Super Mario Brothers theme and what made it so influential. According to Sharpman, Kondo changed the world of video game music by integrating the music into the game development itself. At this period in the 1980s, video game music is still largely either just not a thing, most games just have sound effects, or it's kind of this wallpaper effect. It's in the background, it's nice, we don't really pay attention to it. But Kondo had these two main goals. He wanted to create what he called a sonic image of the game world. And he also wanted the music to enhance not just the emotional, but the physical experience of the gamer. Remember level one, the overworld. You're Super Mario. You're running in front of a blue sky dotted with white clouds. You've got to jump over evil Goombas and tall green pipes. All the while, you have to be careful not to fall into those pits. It's a little bit terrifying. Your heart's in your throat. You're like, oh, am I going to actually make it? And it's this nerve-wracking experience. It's a physical experience. And so in the ground theme, you have all of these offbeat accents. So few things actually land on the beat. So the music is off-kilter. If you've got like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? That's your basic pulse. And the music is rarely on the one, two, three, or four. It's on the yeah, but. It's often on the offbeat. Uh, so it kind of feels like you're not on solid ground, which is exactly what he wants you to feel in the overworld. That breezy cha-cha-cha melody that matches the rhythm of characters running and jumping actually reflects the way Kondo thought about the soundtrack. The music wasn't an afterthought. It was essential to the game itself. And that is how Koji Kondo took the Super Mario Brothers theme and video game music as a whole to the next level. And that's the science of success. This episode was produced by Charlotte Gartenberg. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme music. 
I'm Ben Cohen. Be sure to check out my column on WSJ.com. And if you like the show, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Special thanks to all my journal colleagues who helped sing the theme, including Ben Foldy, Nellie Given, Rachel Bachman, Yalitza DeJesus, Chris Zinsley, Brian Fitzgerald, Pierre Bienname, Todd Olmsted, and Jessica Fenton. Thanks for listening. In the really high voice? Good. Um, okay, are we good?